Amen. We have the privilege of continuing through the Gospel of Luke. And as we do, we're in chapter 5. We come today to what is one of my favorite stories. Some of you have heard me teach from it before. I don't care. <laughs> That's where we came to in Luke 5, and I love this story. It has done so much to shape my understanding of who Jesus is and what it means to follow him and what it means to minister on his behalf. And so I'm excited to share it with you. I want to jump right in. We're going to go to Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 29. Look at this. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And after leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. You should have just gasped. You didn't. There should have been a ripple of shock and awe that just went through our congregation. Like if I stood up here and said that Jesus rode in on a unicorn and spread fairy dust and they all turned into leprechauns. Right? Like you go, what? What was that? that was you ought to have responded to this story with that kind of shock and awe. But it's actually lost on your modern American ears. And that's probably because you don't quite understand what it meant in that day and age to be a tax collector. You think of the IRS. I get that we don't like them, okay? <laughs> but at the same time, we have a very different understanding of a tax collector. Let me tell you about those guys 2,000 years ago. It's important that you remember that Israel is under Roman occupation. There is a foreign army that has conquered them and is occupying them. And so when somebody becomes a tax collector, they are actually traitors. These would have been Israelis, who had been recruited by the Roman army to go raise taxes. Now, the taxes didn't go to Israel for roads and schools and social programs. Oh, no, no, no. They went to Rome to strengthen and build the Roman army, which would make it harder to throw off your oppressor. These are traitors. These are Israelis working for the Roman army. They're traitors. To try to understand that, imagine, if you will, you know the Palestinian-Israeli conflict going on. So no matter what you think about that conflict or Israel-Palestine, but, but at least catch this. Like, so Israel has their state, and that includes the territory of the West Bank. That's one of the disputed territories. Palestinians live there. Rome, or excuse me, Israeli soldiers occupy that turf. Now, could you imagine if a Palestinian, not in secret, but openly in public, chooses to work for the Israeli army and raises taxes from other Palestinians that goes to the Israeli army to strengthen... The, could you imagine? The, their, the other Palestinians would kill that dude. What a traitor. That is how these Israelis would feel about these tax collectors who are, are, are Israelis working for the Roman army. Oh, by the way, these taxes, they were so burdensome. Like, it's not what you think of, like, filing your yearly return so you pay only what's fair. It doesn't work like that. There's no deductions. There is no refunds back in that day, right? There's none of that going on. No graduated system. Instead, uh, the way it would work is that these tax collectors, it was kind of willy-nilly. They'd move their tax booth around. One day, they'd set it up outside of town at a road going out of town, maybe to another major city. And it'd almost be like a toll. You'd get hit for a tax on the way. Then you get to the next intersection. There might be another tax collector. You object, wait a minute, I just paid back there. 
I really don't care about your problems. The swords are coming out. The spears are coming out. Get out your money, not your problems, not your complaints. Give me the money. That's how it went. And so there was an incentive for these tax collectors to squeeze as much as they can. You see, they would uh, be hired by the Roman army, and as such, they had to provide a certain amount of money to Rome each month. But whatever they raised above and beyond that, that was theirs to keep. That's how they made their money. And so they, they had incentive to take as much as they can. They got rich off this. It was basically, look, they were thieves before. Basically, they were thugs. Now it's legalized theft, and I get Roman soldiers to help me. I'm stealing from you, but it's at the point of a Roman spear, and you can't do anything. That's these tax collectors. So they were bitterly hated, easily the most hated people in that society. So nobody wanted that job. Who would take it? It would be those who are already ostracized from religion and polite society. Thieves, thugs, underworld types, people who had no stake in religion, no stake in polite society. They didn't care. They were riffraff. They were the worst of the worst. So you understand, it's not just that the society considered them to be bad people. No, they were already bad people. They were. They were the worst of the worst. That's who took the job. And they go, and now I get Roman soldiers to help me steal. This is awesome. That's who these tax collectors were. So as I said, they tended to become quite wealthy. So the rabbis had a clever response. They declared that the money of a tax collector is automatically unclean. What that means is they can't buy goods from anyone because nobody will take their money. It's kind of a clever response. So now you got all this money, and where are you going to spend it? Well, the way they solved that is they would spend it with people like themselves, their crowd, prostitutes, thieves, other tax collectors, the underworld, the black market. These are bad dudes doing bad stuff. So their posse, their crowd, the people they hung out with were people like themselves, really bad people. And, and, and by the way, the tax collectors, with all their wealth, they were notorious for throwing these huge wild parties. They were like drunken orgies. They make Animal House blush. You know what I mean? Like, so they, they just threw these wild, wild parties with all their, their nasty friends. So the rabbis had a couple responses to this. One of the things the rabbis did is they said, it is not a sin to lie to the tax collector. Wouldn't you like that, right? If I, your pastor, said, sure, you can lie to the IRS. No, it's, that's not right. It is a sin. But here's how the rabbis justified it. They were at war with Rome, and it's okay to lie to your enemy during war, right? To not give them more money than, than needed. And so they said it was okay to lie to the tax collector. That wasn't the worst of it. Look, they always talked about thieves, adulterers, and tax collectors. Always in that order. That order was important. So thieves were bad, adulterers worse, tax collectors worst of the worst. These were prototypical sinners. You could not get worse This is the bottom of the barrel as far as righteousness goes. So one rabbinic tradition taught that being a tax collector is an unforgivable sin. You can't repent from that. You can't come back from that. You should have thought of that before. Too late. You're going to hell. Nothing you can do. We don't care. We don't like you. Those are tax collectors. Now, hopefully you're getting a a better feel for what it meant that this guy, this Levi, was a tax collector. Now you get it like Jesus comes along and sees Levi and calls him as a disciple. Follow me. And Levi leaves everything and follows Jesus, becomes a Christian, becomes a disciple. It's crazy. Jesus has already healed a demoniac. 
He's healed a leper. He's healed a paralytic, but that all pales. He just healed a tax collector. Like, that's the biggest miracle yet. That's insane. Now, you got to understand, with the other three, you could look at them as victims, right? I mean, the poor paralytic, the guy that was tormented by demons, the demoniac, like, feel sorry for them, they're victims, but not a tax collector. A tax collector is not a victim, he's a perp. He is a gross sinner by choice, by volition. And Jesus healed him? That's amazing. That's amazing. I struggled to think about what would be a comparison to our culture today so that you could feel what it would be like if a tax collector walked in here. Let me ask you, who is it? What kind of person? What type of sinner? That if somebody walked in here to worship here, you'd go, "Uh uh-uh, too far, too much. No way, not that person. Is it a pedophile? That's what came to my mind. Maybe not just one who is sexually attracted to children, but, a, but an abuser, like maybe a child pornographer, not, not just receiving, but like making child pornography. Or a trafficker of children. Ugh. The horror that wells up, the anger that wells up within you toward that kind of person, that is precisely how the Jews would feel about tax collectors. And Jesus paused and called that guy? What is going on here? That guy that repented, he came to Christ. What if that kind of person repented, came to Christ, and walked in here and wanted to worship and grow here among you? Would you be okay with that? See, when Levi came to Christ, Jesus Christ was making a very clear statement. He was saying, nobody is too dirty for God. Nobody's beyond the reach of God. Nobody is too unclean that he or she cannot be covered by the grace of Christ. And that is such great news. It is really, really good news. Because no matter what you've done, no matter how gross you are, no matter how unclean, no matter how much shame you carry, if Jesus could take a tax collector, he can take you. It's great, great news. You are not beyond his reach. And and you know what? Neither am I. Frankly, I've done some things in my life that if all of you knew, some of you would reject me. But fortunately, Jesus didn't. And I've been a Christian some 32 years now, and I still can't get over it. I still cannot believe that he took me. Grace is amazing. The cool thing is, the more broken a person is before Jesus takes her, takes him, the more glory God gets. The more awesome grace appears. Look at it this way. If I, on my truck, if I get a little ding on the front bumper, and then you buff that out. Oh, thanks. That's cool. But what if, what if I completely total my truck? Like it's broken beyond recognition. And then you're able to take that pile of trash and totally restore so my truck looks beautiful again. You're a wizard. Like you got skills. that You just got glory in that moment because you showed off how awesome. See, you see what it is with Jesus? The more broken a person is before he works his art of redemption, the more glory he gets. He looks awesome because he shows off his grace. That's what he does. And so when you say them too, yeah, them too. The Son of God died. The blood of Christ is sufficient to cover any sin. It either covers all sin or no sin. Those are your options. And so he covers everyone. This changes everything. He can heal everyone, including you and including me. It's amazing. 
So now I hope you have a little bit more of an appreciation for what it meant to be a tax collector back then. So here Jesus comes across Levi in his tax booth and he says, follow me. Levi gets up, he leaves everything and follows Jesus. Pastor Jared gave an amazing sermon a couple weeks ago about when Jesus called Peter. Same thing happened. Follow me, left everything, followed him. Great, great sermon. The idea is being a follower, not a fan, right? And Levi does that. He becomes a follower, not a fan. In fact, look, if this whole Jesus thing doesn't work out, Peter and the other fishermen, they can go back to their boats. But you got to understand something. Levi burnt his ships from day one. If this Jesus thing doesn't work out, He's got nothing to go back to. Rome will never take him back. Israel won't take him back. He's got nothing. He pushed all his chips to the middle of the table on Jesus. Fortunately, things worked out. (laughs) Uh, So he experiences incredible redemption. Do you know that Levi has another name? He's also known as Matthew. Okay, so this pedophile, This tax collector becomes one of the original 12 disciples, one of the apostles. He wrote the gospel according to Matthew. It's the first book in your New Testament. This guy? Yeah, that guy. That's the one right there. No way. And so here Levi is. He's totally overwhelmed, like with with worship towards Jesus. Like he can't believe it. There's so much joy. He was so dirty. Now he's clean. Jesus took him. He's never been impressed with religion. But, but now he found something totally different. He found God himself who touched his life, who transformed his life, and he loves Jesus. This is why Jesus likes to fill his ranks with people like Levi. Because he who is forgiven much loves much. This is a guy that knows what grace is like and just loves his new Lord. And Levi can't believe it. He can't believe it. He's made the greatest discovery of all. And what what he wants next is he wants his friends and his family to know about it. And so what he does is he throws a party. Throws a great feast, invites Jesus as the guest of honor, and invites all his family and friends so they too can meet Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Well, not everyone's going to think so. Remember who Levi's friends are? Remember what they're like? Remember what their parties were like? And there's Jesus in the midst of it. The Pharisees are not going to like that one. And so we pick up the story in verse 32. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Stupid Pharisees. I'll tell you what, Jesus just healed a tax collector. How cool is that? How exciting is that? This is better than healing a leper, and yet there they are. You know what, Jesus, you shouldn't hang out with those people. You shouldn't be in that kind of place. I started to tell you a little bit about the Pharisees last week. You remember they are a kind of a subgroup within the Jewish religion. They're very devout, very committed, very orthodox group, right? What I didn't tell you is this. The term Pharisee literally means a separated one. And that was at the heart of their religion. So what it meant is they were clean, and what they wanted to do is separate themselves from evil in general, but evil people in specific. Because 
I'm clean, you're dirty, you might rub off on me, now I might be unclean. So I need to be a separated one. I need to stay away. That's how they work things out. Very much fear of encountering evil situations and evil people. And so they had lots of rules, not God's rules, man-made rules, traditions, to keep me separated from the nasty people. But then here comes this new rabbi, this itinerant preacher that some say is the Messiah. His name's Jesus. People are loving him. People are flocking to him. And he's not a Pharisee. He's not keeping the man-made rules. He's hanging out with dirty people. What is he doing? You can't do that. And so the Pharisees were always confused by Jesus. And Jesus was always busting their chops. I mean, really. I'll I'll show you a passage. Mark chapter 7. Look at this example. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, and he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Now, sometimes Jesus wasn't very nice. (laughs) Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Doesn't that describe religion like really well? I mean, there's all these man-made rules, all these man-made traditions, and we're going to pretend like they came from the mouth of God, though they didn't. And he says, you have left the commandment of God. What's the commandment of God? Love God, love people. It's all about love, right? But they have no heart, no heart for God, no heart for people. They have a heart for their own religious self-righteousness, that's all. And so to that, they're not humble. They're into their own self-righteousness. Look how good I am. Look how clean I am. And I got to stay far away. I got to be separated from you dirty people so that I can stay clean because you could rub off on me. So you see the problem with that perspective. Then they say, Jesus at Levi's party. They say, Jesus, you can't do that. Jesus, come out quick. Hurry up. Stay away from those dirty people. They might rub off on you. They might make you dirty. At the end of the day, it, it boils down to this. There's a contrast here. Reject to protect or seek to save. The way of the Pharisees, the way of Jesus. Reject to protect or seek to save. Now the Pharisees are separated ones, so obviously they, they practice reject to protect. I have to reject the nasty, dirty people out there so that I can protect myself and those who are my people. But time out. Wait a minute. What am I protecting? See, I have to begin with an assumption that I'm clean, right? The Pharisees weren't clean. They were messed up too. They had pride. They had the biggest sin of all. The point is that none of us are clean except Jesus. So what am I protecting? Look, folks, my problem with sin is not those dirty, nasty people out there that are ruining our country. It's not my problem with sin. My problem with sin is right here. It's that I'm dirty. It's my heart. That's my biggest problem with sin. My biggest fear is that I might make them dirty. Not the other way around. It's only one clean person in the story, and it's not the Pharisees. So what about you? Do you reject to protect, or do you seek to save? My fear is that a lot of Christianity today is reject to protect. Come in here with the good God's people, right? Right? 
and, and shut out the bad people and the nasties out there. And we got to stay far away from them because they might make us dirty. Reject to protect instead of seek to save. And so what we do is we build the Christian subculture. We build the Christian bubble, the holy huddle, the fortress. Big, thick walls, dig a moat, raise the drawbridge, bar the gates, stay safe in here with the good, clean, nice Christian people. Let's keep the dirty nasties out because they might make us dirty. Reject to protect. As if we're not already dirty sinners ourselves indebted to a clean Savior. You know? Look, Jesus is the only clean one on the scene. He's the only clean one. And he didn't reject and protect. Like, he's the only one with the right to reject and actually protect himself. And he didn't do it. He said he came to seek and save the lost. So if that's what Jesus did, maybe that's what we should do. Notice, Jesus didn't say safe in a little bubble somewhere. He didn't stay in the synagogue and call, hey, Levi, come here. He went out, and he met Levi at his place of work, and then he went to Levi's house and hung out with Levi's friends. Seek to save. Now, our picture of Christ, when we imagine him, is more, it's, isn't it often like Jesus is going through a nice flowing field? He's carrying a spotless white little lamb. Oh, so cute. And he's got all these children following him, right? Nice, clean, the good kids, smiling. Is your picture of Jesus, according to Luke 5, that he is at Levi's house with a mug of wine and a plate of food, sitting around ministering to the scum of the earth? Because that's a pretty accurate picture of Jesus. Sometimes we miss that. So the Pharisees say, look, uh-uh. you got to stay away from those people in those situations. Jesus responded, here's what he said. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He doesn't reject to protect. He seeks to save. And what he says is, look, a doctor can't heal sick people except that a doctor spends time with sick people. It's common sense, right? No, 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 Jesus, you got to quarantine yourself. Come in here with the nice, safe, healthy people. Stay with And Jesus says, no, that's reject to protect. I came to seek to save. And so you have this contrast that Pharisees ran away from sinners. Jesus runs towards sinners. In fact, he ran all the way from heaven to earth to run toward us. That's the way of Jesus. So are you reject to protect or are you seek to? to save. I, I want to take some time to apply this first to our church and then to talk about you personally. As I talk about our church, look, as a church, let me tell you this. This is why we have an ashtray out front, but no exercise classes within. Are we anti-physical health? <laughs> like, what, what is with that? Now, let me explain. We have an ashtray out front because we want to communicate that if you're a smoker, you're welcome here. Messy's welcome here. Love you. And I will be most satisfied when there is a circle around that ashtray with a cloud over them on Sunday mornings. We are saying you are expected, you are welcome, you come on, we love you. And that's just one symbol. It, it sends a message, messy is welcome here. And so we have an ashtray outside, we have redemption going on inside, and you got to know the Pharisees hate it. Can't believe that church has an ashtray out front. 
So why, why do we not have exercise classes within? What's with that? <laughs> and that's because we gather here for worship and teaching, and then the point is to leave here and go. Out in the atrium, no, grow, go. Go advance the kingdom of God. We don't stay in the fortress. We don't stay in the holy huddle. And when you watch a football game, do you tune into the football game because you want to see the huddle? I just love that huddle. You want to see when they break huddle and go up to the line, can they do anything with that? Right? And so this is just a huddle on Sunday morning. Now we've got to break and go up to the line. Can we go? Can we go do anything with that? And so we don't have exercise classes because we're not building a subculture here. I've done my research. There are actually lots of places to work out throughout Stowe. Did you know that? We don't need another one right here. And so you can go get sweaty and go get in shape. And while you're at it, you're going to be next to dirty people like us. But they don't know Jesus. Perfect. Go meet non-Christians, right? That's why we do not have a a subculture being built here. We're never going to have a coffee shop here. Done some research. There's coffee shops out there. Go. Spend time with non-Christians. So that's how we approach it as a church. Now, the the result, look, I hope that we end up being a church that is a wild and weird collection of oddballs that just doesn't fit. Like, listen, if you find in Stowe a church that is full of nice white Republicans, that's not going to turn any heads. Okay? But listen, our congregation, we have white, black, and brown not enough black and brown by my estimation, but we've got them all. We've got Republicans and Democrats uh, worshiping right alongside each other. It's crazy. They fight, but it's okay. <laughs> we, we have men and women. Look, most churches have women. We've got tons of dudes. We've got young and old. Churches have old. We've got a lot of young folks. We've got rich and poor. We have uh, people who got married as a virgin... And we have ex-prostitutes in the same congregation. We have people who don't even know anyone who has ever been arrested. And we have ex-cons in this congregation. I mean, it's just so cool. We have people who are so straight-laced. And then we have people with neck tattoos. I can't just say tats. Tats aren't surprising anymore. But if you've got a neck tat, you're in a different category, right? So, So... In the same congregation, it's beautiful, it's awesome, and I love it. We have people who have never been drunk, and we have recovering addicts all over the place in this church. We have so many recovering addicts, I suspect somebody's handing out free cigarettes on Sunday morning. Like, they, just, they just keep coming, right? We have people who never cuss. Like the people that wouldn't say crap if they had a mouthful, if you know what I mean, right? We have those people. And then there's my wife. (laughs) No, it's not. It's it's actually actually not true. Actually not true. My dear sweet wife, she has tried to cuss and it doesn't work. She she ends up giggling at herself. Like when you cuss and then giggle, stop. Stop. Here's the point, folks. This is a wild, weird collection. And it doesn't make sense unless, unless somebody invited Jesus to the party. And that's the only way it makes sense. And I love that about Redemption Chapel. 
Now let me talk about you. If that's our church, what about you? There's four things I want you to do. Number one, I want you to repent. You got to repent. Jesus said that he came to call sinners to repentance. He came not to hang out, but to heal, right? And it begins with repentance. You got to begin by saying, I too am dirty. I'm messed up. That's the first step, right? You've got to admit that your life is broken. That's the first step. So you've got to turn around and, and run to Jesus. To turn around and run to Jesus, that's what repentance means. You've got to repent. Give him your life. Make him your Lord. Now, by the way, this applies not only to tax collectors, but also to Pharisees. Pharisees are dirty sinners. Guilty of the worst sin, that is pride. They are messed up too but they won't admit it. And if you won't admit you're sick, you'll never go to the doctor. You won't go to Dr. Jesus unless you admit he needs to heal you. And that's the problem with the Pharisees. It holds them back. But here's the drill. If you want to play the self-righteous religious game, if you want to play reject to protect, you will have Jesus as your opponent. But if you admit that you are a dirty sinner too, and you run to him, you will have Jesus as your savior. Even if you're a Pharisee. Look, the Apostle Paul, who we respect and love so much, who wrote so many of the books of our New Testament, he was a Pharisee who repented. Okay, so that's the first step. You got to repent. And then the next thing you got to do is you got to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Jesus did not come to just hang out with the sick. He came to heal them. Like he's not just hanging out with them going, oh, this is ducky, I love this. No, he wants to heal them, right? Let me put it this way. Jesus didn't come to call sinners to dinner. He came to call sinners to repentance. And that's different. So don't don't come away from this sermon with, oh, I can do whatever I want. God's okay with me. Even if I'm a tax collector, he'll hang out with me. We're okay, me and God, the, the guy upstairs. No, don't do that, right? No, there must be repentance. There must be humility. There must be submission, You must have a real encounter with the true God. Let him touch your life and transform you to turn you from a tax collector into a disciple. You got to follow Jesus. After all, if if God can do that much with the way he changed Levi, the way he used his life, if he can do that with Levi, what can he do with you? Maybe then he would start to use you for number three, that you would seek to save. Don't, don't reject to protect. Don't be all judgy. Don't be holding on to man-made rules and traditions. And Don't think you're better than everyone else. You're not clean. There's only one clean person, and that's Jesus. And he came to seek and save. He did it for you. Maybe we can follow him and do it for others. Or, or wait a minute, are you a separated one? Do you find that your life is exclusively about hanging out only with Christians 24-7-365? Then guess what you are? You're separated. Remember, Jesus didn't meet Levi at the synagogue. He met him in his place of work and then went to his home and hung out with his friends. So I want you to build a context in your life for where you engage with the world, with non-Christians. Join a secular club or organization, a team, or a league. Go coach some little league team, some rec league thing for little kids and and meet the kids, meet the parents. I don't know, go uh, 
intentionally grab lunch with one of your coworkers or grill out and invite your neighbors over. It's not complicated, but go be a light to the world. Don't just hide it in the holy huddle here. Now, when you do that, when you go seek to save, you need to do number four. This is the last one. Invite Jesus into it. It's very simple. Repent, follow Jesus, seek to save, and then introduce people to Jesus. Invite him right there. Listen, listen. What if ministry simply meant inviting your neighbors over for burgers and beer? Unless you're one of our addicts. No beer. Okay, but, right. What if it just meant inviting people over for burgers? Now listen to this. I know you're the grill master, right? Your burgers are awesome. I get it, big guy. Okay? So (laughs) your burgers are great, but can I just tell you, your burgers won't save anyone. Only Jesus will. And so if you don't invite Jesus into it, what's the point? Yes, invite people over for burgers, but... Invite Jesus right into the midst of it. Now, what's that mean? That means, in the process, tell them. Tell them that you don't like religion either, but you found Jesus, and he's different. And he's changed your life, and you're so indebted, and you can't believe it, and you want them to know Jesus too. Do you want to know Jesus? Invite them into it. And you say, Pastor, I'm not good at that. No, you're the perfect person for it. You're perfect. Levi was perfect. He still had the stink of mess on his life but he had the fresh taste of salvation. He was perfect. Perfect. He was authentic. Uh, Do you think Levi's friends would have listened to the Pharisees? You think they wanted to hear a message of, I'm clean, you're dirty. If you work really hard, you can be more clean like me. No, they didn't want that. Instead, here's Levi. He could honestly say, hey guys, you know me. You know I'm a hot mess just like you. But I... I don't like religion. I found Jesus. Oh my goodness, he's different than I expected. He is rocking my world. I can't believe he took me. Can you believe Jesus took a guy like me? I can't either. Isn't that crazy? Jesus is amazing. Do you want to meet him too? That's all. Your burgers won't cut it. Jesus will. You are the perfect minister to your friends. Do you think your friends want to engage in conversation with a televangelist? No. And God could have sent anyone. He sent you. You are the perfect person to minister to your friends. And so that's what I want you to do. I want you to repent, follow Jesus, then seek to save, and then invite Jesus right into the midst of it. And if you do that, I'll tell you what, I want you to just imagine, what could Jesus do in you, and what could Jesus do through you? It'll be stunning to watch because that's the journey Redemption Chapel is on. I'll tell you this. If you want to just play church, you have the wrong pastor. Fire me and get someone else. We're not going to play. We're going to do these things together and God's going to be glorified in it. All right, let me pray. Father, thank you for uh, the fact that you loved us enough (laughs) that you'd risk it. You'd run toward us through Jesus. You should have run away, Lord. Every last one of us in here, myself, first and foremost, we're dirty. You should have run. And instead, you ran toward us and embraced us. I can't believe it. It's crazy. Thank you for your grace in that, that you would take tax collectors like us. And so, Lord, we repent of our filth. We run to you. We want to be your followers. 
We want you to transform our lives, not to just play around and act like we're hanging out and it's all ducky. No way. We want you to touch us and transform us. And then would you use us to follow in the footsteps of Christ, to go seek and save. And in the process, we wouldn't just hang out with people that don't know you, but we would invite you right into the midst of it, introduce them to you so they could taste what we did. Lord, please, use us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.